Welcome to this week's message from First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze with our featured speaker, Dr. Bill Lyle. And now, Dr. Lyle. Well, thank you. I mean, a pulpit for a pastor is kind of like a restored classic car. They spend their lives taking care of it. They baby it. They love it. And just like a classic car, when you've restored it and put all that time into it, you don't like to turn it over to somebody else. It's your car to drive. Somebody else can come and ride with you, listen to them preach. But as far as giving the keys to somebody else, that's a real privilege. So I appreciate Jeff letting me share his pulpit today to not only tell you the truth about abortion, talk to you about forgiveness, and to talk to you about the love of God and how God can use events in our lives to change our lives. There are always opportunities for serving his kingdom. Um, You just have to listen to that little small voice, whether it is Sunday school, whether it is nursery, and they are all vital parts of serving his kingdom. But my name is Bill Lyle. I grew up, I don't know if you'll hear the accent, I grew up in New Jersey, but it was South Jersey, so I can still say I'm kind of a Southerner. But my, uh, my dad is from North Mississippi. He went to Mississippi State. My mom was from Jersey. They met up there, and they were, we were all finally able to escape from the clutches of New Jersey. And I can still remember when I interviewed down here for residency with the University of Florida. I flew down, and it was one of those February days where it was like 22 degrees up in New Jersey. It was like 72 and sunny here. And I drove around and, you know, I went down to the base of the three-mile bridge. And I called my wife and I said, we are ranking this as the number one place that we want to be. She goes, oh, that's great. She goes, what's the hospital like? Haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> what are the residents like? Haven't met one. I said, but it is 72 degrees. There are palm trees. The wind is rustling through the palm trees. I am looking out across Pensacola Bay. I said, I think we want to be here for the next four years. Well, that was almost 24 years ago that we uh, wanted to come here. But uh, I practice obstetrics and gynecology. I went to college at Rutgers in New Jersey. I went to uh, medical school up in New Jersey, did my internship in Camden, New Jersey, and my residency with the University of Florida. And then after 13 years in school, what is your wife looking at you and wanting you to do? Get a job. (laughs) So we started to look for opportunities all around the country, and there was an opportunity that we perceived here in Pensacola. So what we ended up doing was we ended up with a partner of mine. We took over the largest provider of abortion services in the Tri-County area. We took over his practice. And we also had him sign a non-compete where he couldn't practice any kind of medicine for the next two years, kind of pushed him into retirement, and he actually moved back to Sweden. So that was how it started. We just took over the practice. We stopped all abortions on day one. And we stopped all referrals for abortions on day one. We let the staff stay as long as they followed those rules. And uh, that was be 20 years ago this July. But then I thought, okay, that was my plan. That kind of worked out well. Done deal. We didn't really have any, I didn't have any additional plans, but... God's always got some sort of a plan. You know, you never know. You think, well, I'm just happening to go here, and I'm just going to happen to go there. God has a plan. And someday, 
all of that plan will be revealed to us. It's like, oh, that's why that happened. That's why I, you know, that was in my life. But it was on a Sunday after church that I had a key and I went to the office. And I had seen the downstairs. I had seen uh, you know, my office, the exam rooms, the ultrasound, the front desk. I'd never been upstairs. And so it was on Sunday after church that I went upstairs. And that's where they had the surgical suite. That's where they had done thousands of abortions since the 1970s. And I walked up those stairs kind of pensively. You know, Jeff was talking about how there just seems to be an evil cloud, like a fog bank, like we've seen over Pensacola Bay recently, where you can just see it coming, and it just engulfs you, and you can't push it away, but, you know, you just have to sort of brace for it. Well, that's what I kind of felt when I was going up those stairs. And I went up those stairs, and I couldn't help but think as I was walking up those stairs How many ladies for decades had gone up that same set of stairs with a little baby on the inside, had spent a half hour up there, and then had gone down the other set of stairs without that little baby on the inside? And I walked up, and I came around the corner, and just like that darkness, you ever been someplace, you know, there's just some places where there's just a coldness. Something just feels evil. There's a coldness. You can just feel it. And I came around the corner, and I saw all the instruments set up, the same instruments that we actually have over, you know, on the other side. The instruments all ready for the next abortion, the abortion machine, and everything ready for the next person to walk up those set of stairs. And I thought to myself, I said, oh my goodness, I don't think our community really has any idea what the truth is here. I mean, you look at the big churches, little churches, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, you see Pensacola Christian College, you know, the Olives, the First Baptist here, First Baptist there, and you think, I don't think anybody knows this is going on right across the corner from Sacred Heart Hospital. So we did a presentation at our church, and it was well-received. And since then, it's given me an opportunity to start a ministry called ProLifeDoc.org. And I still have my private practice, still do about 25 to 30 deliveries a month. But it's also given me the opportunity to travel around the country. I mean, I think... Every Sunday for the next week, I mean, next month I'm going to be speaking in Georgia on Thursday night and Washington State on Friday night, literally just going across the country. I was out with Dr. Dobson in um, Colorado Springs. We did a couple of radio shows that were broadcast last month. So it's given me an opportunity to share my two loves, which are I spent my career, 13 years of training, having healthy moms and healthy babies. That's been my career goal, but also to share the gospel because there is a strong message of forgiveness that needs to be given when we discuss abortion. And we're going to discuss abortion. We're going to talk about fetal development. We're going to talk about how God had a relationship with us from the very beginning. We're going to talk about the science that supports that as us being individuals. And we're also going to talk about the love, but we have to talk about forgiveness because it doesn't matter what crowd I speak to, whether it is a church, whether it is a college, whether it is a seminary, whether it is a high school, there are always folks in there that abortions touch their lives. You know, it affects men, it affects women. I spoke at a church and, you know, gave a presentation kind of like this, and the guy came up afterwards, you know, he was uh, in his 70s, and he said, uh, you know, I've been sitting in church for 25, 30 years, and he said, uh, The short story was that his daughter was 17, and she came to him and said, Daddy, I'm pregnant. And he goes, well, what do you want to do? And she goes, I just can't have a baby. I've already been accepted to college. He didn't know about 
pregnancy centers, like we're going to have availability to find about today. He didn't know, you know, what to do. So he said she was underage. She was 17. She didn't want to have the baby. He goes, I really didn't know how to counsel her. He said, so we drove to the abortion clinic. He said, uh, they did a quick ultrasound. He says, I saw a little flicker of a heartbeat there. He said, I saw that little flicker. And he said, that was my first grandchild. He said, since she was underage, he said, I then signed the consent. He said, I then put my signature on a check. He said, I turned in the check. My daughter disappeared for about 45 minutes, and then she came back down. And he said, for all of these decades, he says, that's been hanging in my chest as like a lump of charcoal, just burning, burning, burning. And he said, it wasn't until today when you talked about, is abortion a sin? Yes, absolutely. But is it a sin that can't be covered by the blood of Jesus? No. I mean, the blood of Jesus cover all sins. God doesn't expect perfection in our lives. He expects a new direction in our lives. And he said, why did it take decades for me to hear that I can, he said, it was such a dirty part of my life just so filthy. He goes, I don't even want to think about it. He says, I'm a saved guy. He says, but I've never been able to just go to God and say, God, I messed up. I made a wrong decision. I made the wrong choice. And he says, and I've been dealing with that for decades. And he said, I asked God to forgive me. He says, I don't know why it took me all those decades to just have that start of healing because you don't get healing without true forgiveness and true forgiveness only comes through the blood of Christ. He said, why did it take so much time? And he said, not only was that my first grandchild, he says, to this day, that was my only grandchild. He says, I don't have any other grandkids. So it's a message of forgiveness, but part of the goal is to let y'all be able, it's kind of like sharing the gospel. You don't want to share the gospel, know how to share the gospel here in church, and then it stops at the door. We want to give you some examples that you can use, not only as far as scripture, but as far as things that are going on over at Sacred Heart Hospital, you know, right in our local backyard. I mean, we are spending tens of millions of dollars. If you haven't been over there, look at the new Studer family and the, uh, and the Bubba Watson, you know, children's hospital that's going up. Tens of millions of dollars. Why? Because we want to be able to provide the best care for kids. You know, when I started at Sacred Heart 24 years ago, we felt that we would you know, actively have a good chance of resuscitating a baby at 25 weeks gestation. And then new technology came along, new medications came along, and then we were like, no, we can really have a good chance at 24 weeks. And then a few years ago, we had new technology and new advances in uh, the NICU, and we were able to drop that number down to 23 weeks. They just had a baby over in Mobile that was delivered at 22 weeks, that was able to survive and actually went home. So we are now in the process of changing all of our policies for resuscitation and how we counsel the parents at 22 weeks gestation. 22 is really interesting because that is the gestational age in the state of Florida where anybody can electively have an abortion, terminate a pregnancy. They just drive to Orlando and uh, they can just sign the paperwork and they can have an abortion and come on back here. So you've got a hospital that is investing tens of millions of dollars to save 22-weekers and to have them survive and go home. But then in the same state, you can have 22-weekers that if just mom chooses, she can terminate that pregnancy. Um, we treat the preborn as patients over at the hospital. 
lot of people don't know some of the amazing technology with the doctors, the nurses, and the equipment. Um, there's a condition where moms will have antibodies. One of the first blood tests we do is we look for these antibodies. And the antibodies from the mom can actually cross the placenta and they start to attack the baby's blood. Well, they attack the baby's blood and the baby's blood counts can go so low that if we don't do something, that baby could die on the inside. Well, if you get in a bad accident and your blood count drops really low and you go into the emergency room and they say, hey, your hemoglobin hematocrit are 4 and 12, you know, you are bleeding out. What are they going to do? They're going to give you a blood transfusion. Well, when we look and we can look at the babies on the inside, and we can actually tell what the baby's blood counts are by doing an ultrasound. You're like, how do you do that? We can look at the speed of individual blood, uh, blood cells in a vessel in the brain called the middle cerebral artery. And just like if we only had, you know, five people in here and there was a fire drill and we had to get out, we'd get out real quickly. But if there's 300 people in here, it would take us more time. So the lower the blood count and the less blood cells, the faster those blood cells will go. So we can see if this baby needs to do, have a blood transfusion. We can actually give these babies blood transfusions right into their umbilical cord, and we've done that as early as 19 weeks gestation. A month before this baby could even survive on the outside, and we can give blood. If you have O-negative blood and you gave it to one blood down there on ninth, your blood might be some of the blood that we transfuse to the baby there on the inside of the womb. So we treat the preborn as patients. But, you know, they're not just giving blood transfusions. You know, centers around the country are now actively doing surgery on these babies on the inside. You know, they can actually, anybody here ever had any kind of heart surgery or know somebody who's had heart surgery? My mom had a heart valve replaced. At 22 weeks gestation, Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, Boston, Houston, they can now go in with a baby who has a condition with an abnormal heart valve, and they can do a valvuloplasty on the baby 22 weeks gestation. The baby is having heart surgery at 22 weeks gestation. They can do valvuloplasty, septoplasty, and other fancy words. The babies are having heart surgery on the inside. They're also correcting spina bifida surgery. And we've got some video. Um, I brought some, we don't have, we're not going to be showing any video this morning, but we actually brought some DVDs. My wife will be out in the front with some DVDs, and we'll be showing some of them next door. But we actually show how we're doing heart surgery and spinal surgery on these babies. So are they patients? Yeah, they're patients there on the inside, and if they're patients, they have value. Conception. When did you become you? You know, we've read how, you know, we were created in the image of God. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We read that. Well, when did that happen? You know, when we say, we, when God said, let us make man in our image, and we were created in the image of God, and that's really special. That means we were created to be able to communicate with God, to have a relationship with God. Of all the amazing creation, none other, no other aspect of his creation was created in his image. We were. Well, when did that happen? You think, well, okay, yeah, we're creating the image of God. When a mom pushes the baby out, does all of a sudden some magic happen, and all of a sudden, ta-da, you're creating the image of God. No, that doesn't make any sense at all. You know, if the obstetrician has to do a cesarean section, was there no image of God in there, and I make an incision and bring the baby out, and then all of a sudden, ta-da, image of God. No, that doesn't make any sense either. 
when the ultrasound tech at 20 weeks does an ultrasound, was there something magic when she passed that ultrasound energy over and you could see the baby, the heart, lungs, kidney, spine, bladder, all that? All of a sudden, was that the ta-da moment created in the image of God at 20 weeks? Nah. Was it when the ultrasound tech did that seven-week ultrasound? You know, in my DVD, I've got a video of Sydney. She's only 12 weeks along, and she's only two inches long, and she's jumping and sliding on the inside. And that was the, only, that was the first ultrasound we did of her. Well, is that when she was created in the image of God, at that moment when we did the ultrasound? Did we do an ultrasound, and ta-da, bam, she's created in the image of God? No. There's only one moment that makes any sense when we were all created in the image of God. And that's at that moment of conception. That was when when that one cell from the mom, the one cell from the dad, got together. Half the genetic information came from mom. Half the genetic information came from dad. And they united at that one moment. That's when we were created in the image of God. The DNA is half from mom and half from dad. Has anybody seen the commercials about 23andMe or Ancestry.com? Anybody done it? Yeah. I've done it. It's cool. They go back hundreds of years. But, you know, your great, 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 great grandparents, and they go back hundreds of years to say, well, you're 22% this, 22% that, 18% that. It's pretty cool. I was like almost all British, Scottish, and Irish. I was a white boy. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it was just, bam, right there. But some people have a lot more changes in their, in their background. And it's like, wow, I didn't know I was 8% this or 4% that. It's amazing technology. But the, when you, I don't care if you're 80 years old, if you collect that little bit of saliva and you send it off to Ancestry.com or 23andMe, that is unique. That DNA and that little bit of saliva is unique from the other 7 billion people on the planet. But you know what's amazing? Is that DNA and that chromosome analysis that they do and they send you the results in a couple of weeks is the exact same from the, as that moment of conception. That first cell, combination of one cell from your mom, one cell from your dad, that's you. And that did not change. So when it's like you're fearfully and wonderfully made and created in the image of God, what's the only thing that makes sense? It makes sense that it was at that moment of uh, conception. And we can prove that scientifically. We can prove that genetically. And even, you know, when you look at like Jeremiah 1.5, God looks down on Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah... Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew you. Before thou camest forth, I sanctified you. And I ordained you to be a prophet unto the nation. So God's saying to Jeremiah, he's like, Jeremiah, you were still on the inside. You were developing in your mother's womb. And I ordained you. I sent you apart, and you were going to be a prophet unto the nations. Did God have a relationship with Jeremiah when he was still in the womb? Yeah, he sure did. So that moment of conception is when we were created in the image of God to be able to communicate with him. We've communicated with him today. We've communicated with God in prayer. We've communicated with God in song. We've communicated with God by reading scripture. We are having a relationship with God this morning because we were created in the image of God. Um, Let's talk a little about abortion. About 20% of all the abortions now are done chemically. They're done with a medication. You know, it used to be that almost all abortions were done with, you know, a surgical procedure. And uh, so about 20% are now being performed with a medicine. There are two primary medicines. When a woman gets pregnant, lots of things change. 
you know, the body is making lots of changes. All you moms know that there are lots of changes going on. You know, it's like, I got nine hours sleep. I had a cup of coffee, and I'm ready to go back to bed. Welcome to pregnancy. That's normal. You know, there's lots of changes. The body is changing. All sorts of metabolic changes are happening. But when the body, a woman gets pregnant, she starts to produce a hormone called progesterone. Progesterone. Progestation. It's saying, congratulations, you are pregnant. Let's keep this pregnancy going. And so progesterone is like progestation, progestation. Well, early in the pregnancy, and it can be up until 10 weeks in the pregnancy, there's a medicine called RU46, which can be given. And that blocks that hormone called progesterone. So a woman's body is there, and it's like, yay, we're pregnant. There's a signal that says progesterone, progesterone. And then that, horm- that medicine, RU46, comes in, and it blocks that. So the body's going, well, I thought we were pregnant. I guess we're not pregnant. Well, if we're not pregnant, then let's withdraw all the support for a pregnancy. Well, you think, well, if it's just a switch that got flicked and we're just blocking that, well, can't we just flick that switch back on? If somebody says, I can't believe I made that decision. I had a patient who came to me, this is probably about a year and a half ago, and she and her fiancé found out they were pregnant. She was in school over at USA. She was in nursing school. He was an engineering student. And they went to Planned Parenthood over in Mobile. Why'd they go there? That's where she went for her health care. That's where she went for her annual exams. They didn't go there saying, we don't want this baby. But they spent about an hour with them. They were counseled. And they were talked into that this is not a good time to have this baby. And before they knew it, they had signed the consent. And they had swiped their credit card. And they were given this medication called RU46. And they left, and they walked out to the car, and they sat there in the car and go, what just happened? It was, it was like, they're like, I, we went in, and something happened, and now we're not having a baby anymore? So they went home, and she's a nursing student. So she's not, like, she sees people that overdose on narcotics. She's like, they come in, they've had too much of a narcotic at home, they're getting ready to die, and we give them a medication called Narcan, which turns it off. I mean, patients can't breathe, they can't respond, you can yell at them, you give them a shot of Narcan, and all of a sudden they're like, and then I went over and I was doing it, and it's amazing how this medication works. And she goes, I wonder if there's any way they can, if there's an antidote for what they gave me. So she started searching on the internet, she starts Googling, and she finds a website called Uh, abortionpillreversal.com, which was started by a friend of mine named George Delgado. She calls, and now look at how many people are involved in this. She calls the 800 hotline in California on a Sunday morning. They get her information. They find out she's in Mobile, Alabama. They look up and they say that I'm a registered reversal provider. So she calls me. I'm getting ready to sing at church on a Sunday morning. And she says, I've got this information. Can you give this patient a call? I said, sure, let me give her a call. I give her a call. I get all the information, counsel her. And then we, uh, you know, I start looking for a pharmacy over in Mobile, Alabama that carries this medication. I find a pharmacy that carries this medication. And I give the information to the pharmacist. And the pharmacist goes, Dr. Lau, are you trying to reverse an abortion? I'm like, well, that's an interesting question. I said, yeah. Yeah, I am. And she goes, oh, sweetheart, I'm going to take care of this girl myself. She goes, we've got the medication, you know, in stock. She goes, I will greet her. I will meet her. She goes, we're going to take care of this. And I said, well, you know, let me give him my credit card number because I don't want there to be any reasons why this doesn't go. She goes, oh, sweetheart, I got this. This is on me. 
So then I called the patient back later that night, and I, gave her, I had given her the information. I just wanted to make sure she got the information. And she goes, Dr. Lada, that was one interesting pharmacist. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, I went in and said who I was. I, she said, that pharmacist came around that little privacy counter. She gave me a big hug, told me she was going to be praying for me. And then she paid for my drugs out of her own pocket. How many people were involved in that process? You know, that doesn't just happen. That's not just a coincidence. That's part of God's plan. I saw her in the office a week later. We had a heartbeat. The medicine she was given had a 98 to 99% chance of taking the life of that baby. A week later, we had a heartbeat, and then I actually delivered that baby about six months ago. How many people were involved in that kingdom service from a volunteer, a guy who sets up a website, a pharmacist, me? Everybody was involved in this, and we have a beautiful little baby girl just because of that. I met with your pastor Wednesday, and I was talking about how I had another young lady who had come through this hotline who has actually lived here locally. And uh, yeah, I said, well, some work, we've already called in the reversal medication, and we're going to see what happens. It was one of those where the, she and her husband just reacted, and they had kids already, and they thought, we just can't afford this. So they went over to Tallahassee, were given the abortion medication, and all of a sudden they're like, what did we do? They're watching their kids playing in the backyard, and they're thinking, we can deal with this. We can figure this out. So we called her, and again, the medication she was given on Monday, 98% chance of working and taking the life of that baby, you know, if it's not reversed. We reversed it on Tuesday night, met with your pastor. We've been praying for her. Other people around the country have been praying for her. I saw her in the office on Friday morning. We got a heartbeat. So, you know, this was a baby that, you know, had a heartbeat, at about six weeks gestation, was given an abortion pill. We were successfully able to reverse it with progesterone and prayer, and now we have a healthy, normal pregnancy, and we're going to follow her. So there's a lot of things that we can do actively. It's about forgiveness. It's about education. It's about letting people know what this life in the womb is all about. Consent. You know, before you have any kind of surgery done, you give consent. You know, and consent is not just when you sign your name on the piece of paper. Consent is when you're given risks, benefits, indications, and alternatives. Well, my governing body is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and they talk about consent where before any patient has any kind of procedure, that that patient must be treated with respect and that patient must be given everything possible to ensure bodily integrity. So patients are persons. So patients have to be consented. And if this is a baby, they go into, well, the mother or even the surrogate has to do what is in the best interest of the baby. What would the baby want? What would this person who can't communicate, what would they want? Well, do we treat the preborn as patients? Yeah, we're giving them blood transfusions. They're getting heart surgery. They're getting spine surgery. So clearly the preborn are patients. So if they're patients, then according to ACOG, they need to be treated with respect, and we need to do everything to ensure bodily integrity for them. Is that what an abortion is? No. If they're a patient, they're a person. If they're a person, they need to be protected. You know, about once a year, we'll get a mom who will come in with twins. And she, before we can do anything, we had a mom who was here on a convention, and at 25 weeks, she you know, came in, preterm labor, and before we could do anything, she delivered the first baby. So that baby goes over to the NICU. Doctors, nurses, everybody's taking care of this baby. Meanwhile, the other twin is still in the belly. 
And we counseled her. The second bag of water was intact. And it's like, look, this baby is down the hall with all the technology doctors and nurses. The baby in your belly is doing well. We don't just get hours. We don't just get days. We get weeks. There was a case just up in Tennessee. They got six and a half weeks. You could literally have an identical twin, one born in June and the other one born in August. You go to register your identical twins for school, and they might be in different school years even though they're identical twins. That's pretty amazing, but here's the real key. Baby down in the NICU, identical twin conceived at the exact same moment in time, has all the rights or protections that you or I would have at a cardiac care unit. Meanwhile, its identical twin that's in the belly doesn't have those rights or protections. And if it lives in one of the eight states, like New York State, and then you see that you know changes in Oregon, changes in New Jersey, states that say, you can have an abortion at any point during the pregnancy. And then you see the Virginia governor, they just passed their law. It's like, yeah, your due date's June 20th. Guess what? You can have an abortion up to June 20th. And the governor was asked, well, what happens if like during the process of an abortion, the baby, baby is strong enough, it survives, and it comes out and it's kicking, screaming, has a heartbeat. And the governor said, well, that would still be a decision between the mother and the physician. No, you know, the governor of Virginia is a physician. He is a pediatric neurologist. He deals with life, the brain. He knows this. That's why this is not just a choice. This is not vanilla or chocolate, coffee or tea. This is a spiritual battle. And if we go into a spiritual battle and you're not using your spiritual weapons, you're not going to be victorious. We've talked about Jeremiah 1.5. We've talked about creating the image of God. We've already read Psalm 139. I want you to look at Judges. We're going to flip over to Judges 3. You know, what is the most amazing country ever founded by God? I'd say the nation of Israel. What's the most amazing country ever founded by man? I'd say the United States. The Jewish people were God's chosen people. He has a love for the nation of Israel, unlike any other nation. But I want you to look in Judges 3. Let's look at verse 7. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served Baal and Asheroth. Therefore, anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan, the king of Mesopotamia. They were there for eight years. When you start to read through Judges, you see this theme over and over again, you know, where the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Like you look at uh, Judges 3, look over at verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. His chosen people, correct? But look at this. And then go over to chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and then the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So it's not just God took his protective hand away from the nation of Israel. He's like, no, I'm going to give you over into your enemies. You're going to get eight years. You're going to get seven years. You're going to get 18 years. I'm going to actually strengthen the enemies of Israel so that they can have power over the nation of Israel. So when we start to see this dark cloud like Jeff was talking about, moving in. You know, it's not that, well, that's just affecting somebody else. This affects all of us. This affect, I love this country. I mean, 
you know, I love this country enough that Memorial Day weekend, I'm going over to Pensacola Beach, and I'm going to be speaking over on Pensacola Beach. I've never been to the Pensacola Beach on Memorial Day weekend. It was kind of, I felt more comfortable in the river up in Milton, you know, if you know what I mean. But there's a need to bring light to that darkness, and we need to make a stand. We need to make a stand and say what is right, not just for us, not just for the lives of the, of the babies in the womb, which is absolutely a high priority. We need to share the gospel. That's the role of the church, talking about the gospel, talking about forgiveness. You know, but we also need to do this for the whole state of the nation. You know, when, we, when you see the government and you see people saying that, well, this class of person, you know, uh, this class of people is not a person, they don't have as much value. The nation of Iceland and the Netherlands now have official policies where they say, we're going to eliminate Down syndrome from the nation of Iceland and uh, from the Netherlands. It's like, how do you eliminate Down syndrome? It's a, it's a genetic thing. I mean, it, it's chromosome 21. Instead of having two, you get three. How do you, how do you change that? You know, and if you know any kid with Down syndrome, you know that the love gene is on chromosome 21 because these kids have an extra chromosome 21, and they got more love than anybody that I know. How are they eliminating Down syndrome as the official policy of their countries? They're diagnosing these kids early, and then they're aborting these kids. They only had two kids with Down syndrome aboard in all of Iceland last year. Why? Because they found a cure? No, because they're taking the lives. So they're not persons. You know, throughout history, whenever a group of people was going to be taken over, I don't care if it's the American Indians, the African Americans, whether it was women when it came to voting rights, they were just deemed not to be persons. So when they deem a baby with Down syndrome as not being a person, the next step is then they say, well, you know what? Grandma with Alzheimer's disease is not a person. Grandma with Parkinson's disease is not the person that she used to be. And you're seeing that over in Europe now, where without even any kind of permission or consent, they're taking the lives of these patients because they're deeming them not to be persons anymore. So when you see that evil that is sweeping across the country, you know, and you realize that God looks down... We've been in, if you've traveled around the country, my daughter's getting ready to spend six weeks in Senegal, Africa. You know, and when, you know, my other daughter was down in Peru last year. It's so vital. You're going to Guatemala coming up, right? You know, when you see different parts of the world, you realize how blessed we are here in the United States. But you know what? God has shown if his chosen people, if God said, you know what? Not only am I going to lift my hand of protection, I'm going to give strength to the enemies because you've done evil in my sight. When we have states and we have an entire political party who has a major plank on their platform is saying, you know what, these are not persons there on the inside. They don't recognize that they were created at that moment of conception in the image of God. There's nothing to say that God won't say, you know what, y'all as the United States are just doing evil in my sight. I'm not only finished protecting you, I might even strengthen your enemies against you. So it's a battle we all need to be engaged in. You know, the battle is about sharing the gospel. But other than sharing the gospel, I can't think of any particular item in my life that's more important than protecting the lives of the preborn. You know, we are all going to, here's some free medical advice. Y'all are going to die. Not today, you know, but someday we're all going to die. And then... You know, if we're saved, I mean, we all read about and we know, yeah, I've been saved by the blood of Jesus. I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. And it's like, and we use that word eternity so flippantly and so lightly. What's eternity? It's a long time. You know, 
distance and time are kind of related. You know, like when you're driving to Disney World and your kids say, you know, how much longer? You know, it's an eternity for them. It's like, well, we got to get, we're almost to the busy bee. Yay, we're almost to the busy bee. You know, distance and time. We launched a probe called the New Horizons probe, and it took it nine and a half years to get to Pluto. Long time to get some pictures of Pluto as it was zipping on by. Well, it went past Pluto. And when it left past, went past Pluto, it's like, well, that's the end of our solar system. I mean, where's it going? where should we send it next? It's still boogieing on out there. And the thought is, well, if we left our solar system, let's go to a star. It's like, cool, let's go to a star. What's the closest star? Alpha Centauri. Okay, it took it nine and a half years to get to Pluto. How long will it take it to get Alpha Centauri? 54,000 years to get to the first star. There are over 200 billion stars in our galaxy, and the Hubble telescope tells us between 150 and 300 billion galaxies out there. And it would take it 54,000 years just to get to star number one. And you think about that's distance. Now think about time, eternity. And you think, okay, we're saved. We're going to get to see Jesus, and we'll spend eternity in glory with our Lord. Okay, so we're spending eternity. Well, you know, I was saved by the blood of Jesus, put my trust in him. But then it's like, what did I do for his kingdom while I was here? Maybe I had 70 years. Maybe I had 80 years. Maybe 90 years. My grandmother lived to be 95, 90, you know, almost 95. So we have that 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years of kingdom service. And when we die and we go to heaven, we're like, whew, we are here for all eternity. And we're going to all think back. First, we're going to fall on our knees. We're going to just look to Jesus and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But then we're going to think, what did I do for his kingdom while I was here on earth? I'm here for eternity. I mean, 54,000 years for a probe just to get to star number one. 200 billion stars, 200 billion galaxies. That's more zeros than I can add up. That blows away the national debt. What did I do for kingdom service while I was here? You know, there are so many opportunities. You are blessed with a church that has lots of... I was looking on your bulletin, all the different service opportunities that y'all have, different nights of the week, this group, that group. You know, young people, older people, there's opportunities to do kingdom service. One of the pregnancy centers is going to be here, and uh, they'll have opportunities for you to figure out, how can I serve? Because we always get these opportunities that God will give us on how we can serve his kingdom. And if we don't listen to those opportunities, it's not like God sits up there and goes, boy, I really wanted to pour some blessings on you, and I wanted you to learn, and I wanted you to get the experience of doing this kingdom service. And if we don't take that opportunity, it's not like God says, oh, no, this will not get done. No, he's just going to move on to somebody else, and somebody else is going to get those blessings and have that opportunity for kingdom service. doesn't matter if you're retired. doesn't matter if you're really young. There's always opportunities you know, for kingdom service. Because when it comes to the lives of the preborn, they are very important. When it comes to letting people know about forgiveness, extremely important. But again, it's not about perfection. It's about a new direction. So we try to give examples for people, men and women. Guys, your role is to be the protectors and the defenders. You know, you're supposed to be engaged. You can't say, abortion, man, that's, like, that's a lady thing. No, 
It's not a lady thing. It's our role. It's our duty to be protectors and defenders. There's ways to be involved. There's ways to talk about with other men that have been involved in an abortion. So as we close, I just want you to think about that opportunity that you can have for kingdom service. Share these kind of examples. Look at the ways that you can serve your church and your kingdom. If you have any questions, I'll be out front for a little bit. My wife has a bunch of those DVDs, and so you can see some of the visuals of actually fetal development, fetal surgery, some of the stats. The stats are important. You know that, have you ever been to a Florida State game? You know how many people pack out that stadium? 75,000 people fill that stadium. Every year, year after year after year, in the state of Florida where our motto is In God We Trust, we record over 76,000 abortions. So when you see that packed out Florida State Stadium, that's how many abortions are being done year after year after year, every year in Florida. But I'll be around for some questions. God bless y'all. Thank you for your attention. And Jeff, I will turn it back on over to you, sir. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.